Today we're probably going to finish up on this idea of the individual and the church and understanding our roles. And each week I kind of repeat a little bit. The reason is I want you to get it. I would love for you at the end of a series to be able to hit like five bullets, six bullets, because you're sick of me saying them. So that would be an ultimate success and it would be flattery to me for you to say, I'm really sick of hearing Bill do that. I can do it in my sleep. So, um, so the reality is this good news, the gospel, the power of God through Jesus, what he did is he broke the bonds of sin that operate in the spiritual world but are connected to us. All right, he broke those bonds. And as we demonstrated last week, although those bonds are broken, what really heals us is for Jesus' bonds to be attached to us. The dilemma is, is that these bonds from Jesus are going to bring some direction. It's going to bring some, some, uh, uh, some power into your life that is going to command you in directions. The challenge is we also want to be in charge. It's really how we rebelled to start with. All right, so we're, we're going up against the original sin. When Jesus breaks the power of sin, the original sin power is still there. And so what we want to do is I want to control my arms. I want to control my life. I want to decide. So Satan is, is, is climbing into the mix. Jesus is extending a right way to live that's going to bring life, and it's going to bring no regrets, and we are in the mix as well. That's why we know after the bond is broken, the struggle remains. The difference is, is that we have now an edge in that struggle. We have a light inside us. We have a voice inside us that's a real voice, that is a real voice of truth. We have a voice that never lies. We have a voice that's always bringing truth. Whether we like that truth or not, it's still truth. And it means it's still the power of life. Many times we do not like that voice. When that voice tells me to let something go or forgive something, I don't want to. I want to argue with that voice. I want to say, wait, let's get the whole message on the table. I want my say. And the Spirit just sits silently while I babble on about my excuse for not letting something go. But his answer is not going to change. And I can talk till the day I die, justifying why I want to do something different. All right, then we looked at this idea of the unseen versus the seen. Scripture tells us, and it, and it shows us, it reveals to us, if we do not acknowledge and understand that there is an unseen reality, and if we, if we focus only on the seen, you will, you will not only lose, but you will miss the fight. And so what we understand in this perspective of the unseen that Scripture gives us is that there's a strength and protection that must come from God. Number two, that your enemy is not mankind. No matter how mean or angry that mankind can be to you, it's still not the real fight. It just looks like the fight. And number three, that the real enemy of your soul is part of that unseen world. That's a reality that we have to embrace, we have to acknowledge, we have to understand, and part of our maturity is getting it. So the day I make 
people who are making my life miserable, my enemies. The day I make, I want some money, I want some things, I want some toys, I want the right uh, kind of relationship with a woman that I want. The day I make those things, the power players in my life, I lose. I've lost. So this perspective on the unseen and the perspective on the seen also gets changed. And that perspective is, the scripture says that the way you see injustice, the way you see righteousness will change. It must change. We saw it in one of the songs this morning where it says Jesus did not retaliate in his suffering. He did not say anything. He did not make it right. What did he do? It said that he trusted his father who is just. What is that saying? It's saying that he's taking the injustice of his life and he's handing it to the just one. You have that same power, that same prerogative, that same reality rests for you and I. It must. It must or you can't do it. I must be able to take the injustice in my life. I must be able to take it to the one who is just and let it go. If I don't, then the injustice holds me. I am caught by it. And no matter how real it is, no matter how powerful it is, if I give it to Jesus, it won't be able to take me down. It must change. The unseen and the seen must change. Our focus has to change. We have to be able to focus beyond what we see, beyond what's irritating us, beyond what's making us happy, beyond what's making us hopeful, and be able to see the seen and the unseen. We must have eyes that do them both. That's maturity. That's moving in the direction that sets you free. And lastly, we value things very differently. So our value now is not on, wow, that's a nice car. Wow, I wish I had that house. Wow, look at that boat. Look at that airplane. Wow, she's hot. Wow, I wish I had four kids or one kid. I wish I didn't have any of my kids. Whatever it is that happens, it's trapping you only to place value in what you put your eyeballs on in this, in this world. And then we looked at, with those things in place, you get it? The bonds is broken. The struggle is still there. It's unseen and it's seen. You must have regard for both, and the understanding of both must change how you live and do business. That's really what I've said right there. The next thing is to understand God's purpose for the church. You are a part of that church, as am I. And the scripture tells us the purpose of the church is to display the wisdom of God in rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a tall order. Do you see how the fight is not here? That's not where it's at. But what God is doing is he is using the church to humiliate the forces and the authorities and the powers that attempt to come against him, the role of the church. Do you see why we must be seen and unseen? Do you see why we must change our values? Are we, we become pawns. We're, we're just, we become losers. We're helpless. We're the boat without a motor. 
Last week, we looked at the reality. How do we really operate in the unseen? How are we taking it to the authorities, the powers, and the principalities in the heavenlies? How are we doing that? I mean, really, come on, how are we doing that? I'm 5'8", 175. I'm not really very fast. I can't jump at all. I don't play an instrument. I'm not rich. So how, how exactly am I going to do that? Well, here's what Jesus reveals. We operate in a power that he is giving us. And when we operate in the world on his behalf, when we begin to touch lives as Jesus did, we are taking it away from the enemy. We're taking it away from the enemy. The church has a role. The church is here to train and equip you, to encourage and empower you. The church is here to build the body of Christ. Maturity, unity, and growth. And it's here to demonstrate the unity of God's people with one another and with him. I'm not saying we're very good at that. But I also will tell you this. We can be. The church can be. The individual and the community. The individual, I want to tell you, and I'm going to show you today, you are completely whole, lacking nothing when you step out that door in Jesus Christ. But we were called to live together in unity as a revelation and a demonstration of who God is. And when you walk out that door, you are completely whole, lacking nothing in Jesus Christ. You must understand that. You must understand you are a powerful, powerful force of one going through that door. You must not back down from any seen or unseen opportunity slash reality that comes your way because you live with intentionality in this world. And there is a sense of urgency in the work of Jesus. And so when you step out that door, you are the person of seen, unseen. You are in one of those video games, armored up, equipped, tooled, and ready. That's who you are. You know, it's, it's not about, you know, body armor and some fancy rocket that you do this and it reloads. It says God gives gifts. He has given his people gifts. These gifts are supernatural abilities. That's a gift, isn't it? I mean, we're talking superhero stuff here. You are given supernatural gifts. Who's been given these gifts? Everybody. Everybody got one, two, three, I don't know, but you have gifts. 
And if you have gifts, you have gain. That's the reality. You see, the scripture tells us we should be excited about that gift. We should practice that gift. We should exercise that gift to the, to the break point. Where's the edge of your gift? I don't know. Find it. And then push it. You've been given gifts. This morning, when someone speaks out a word for us, we had a word of tongues and interpretation a couple of weeks ago. When people are praying for one another, when we get words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic utterances, you know what we're doing? Where the body is operating in gifts. What does that do? It builds up the body. I mean, when, when we had someone speak out a message in tongues a couple of weeks ago, I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt the spirit in the room change completely. And I saw people weeping. Somebody operated in a spiritual gift. And let me tell you the background on that. The person said their arm, their shoulder was hurting so bad. And they felt like God said, speak out in tongues. And they were afraid and they were intimidated and they're a shy person. But the pain was so great. So this person began to blurt out speaking in tongues. And the pain left immediately when they started doing that. Some of us need a little motivation, don't we? Some of us need a little motivation. And then obedience came. And then the Spirit of God poured out on the people in this room. That's supernatural. First Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4, it says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit, the same source of them all. They're all different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. You know, there's no boasting, there's no bragging, there's no competition. They're honoring one another. Why? Because, you know, this person gets the bolt. This person gets the nut. This person gets the screwdriver, the wrench, the hammer. Is the hammer better than the wrench? No, especially if you need a wrench. They're all gifts from God for service right here in this room. I was talking to one of our young people this morning. I said, you know what I do on Sunday morning? I get up and I ask, Lord, what are you doing this morning? What do you got going this morning? Clue me. Give me something. See, some of us walk in the door, you know, you people just need to be grateful I've made it. <laughs> I don't want to be here. I didn't want to be here. I'm, I'm not going to be happy until I leave. My kids hate me. I hate my kids. But I'm here. You're welcome. Now, you know, in those moments, I understand them, and those are people that need grace and mercy on that morning, but you can't have 70% of your church showing up like that. You see, you get to play. You got game. You got gifts. Walk in. Be ready to use one. Throw one down. Look for the opportunity. I'm looking. 
I'm looking. I'm listening. I'm watching. Because there's purpose here. There's work God wants to do. And you remember what God said? He said, I'm going to use you to do it. If we all just want to come in here and sit down and the Holy Spirit just, you know, go nuts and do things, that's fine, except that's not what he says he's going to do. It says his Holy Spirit is going to rest on people and people will do it. It's not my rules. But it's my game. The spiritual gifts are given to each of us so that we can help each other. This is word for word out of the scripture. We're way behind. Um, just keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. Uh, I don't know what that is, so we're good. That's the wrong message. I can see why you, do, you couldn't figure it out. I can't figure it out either. But that's okay. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is resting on us, and his purpose and plan will not be stopped. So the Scripture tells us, I think it's verse 7 out of chapter 12, the spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Some of the spiritual gifts, wise advice. He gives some of you wise advice. To some, a message of special knowledge, special understanding. To someone else, a gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles. He gives another the ability to prophesy. Another one, this discernment of messages. Is this really from God or is this from a different spirit? Why? Because it's an unseen world, isn't it? We kind of need to be aware of that. Bill, you should go do this. Well, first thing I'm going to think about when I hear, Bill, you should go do this, is what exactly am I supposed to go do? Bill, that guy's wallet just fell out. You should go check it. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that check it to see if there's anything in it for me? Is that check it to see if there's an identity that I can give it to someone? What does check it mean? So there are ways we can test that spirit. But there are things that might be a little more difficult, like take a job in Pennsylvania. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages. To another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. This is not an exhaustive list. What they're telling you is God gives supernatural, powerful gifts that will have a positive effect on the people of God and on the world. Get it? We are, we are super, well, we're not really superheroes. We are just super because God is a hero. We become instruments of his love and his intentions and his power. So we can put that together and say, we are given gifts so that we can participate in the building up of the body and the revelation of God's glory in the unseen. 
You see how the gifts work? Verse 27 of chapter 12. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts. And he lists the gifts, the healing, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers. Then we get to verse 29. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we have the ability to interpret tongues? And the scripture says, of course not. No, we don't have all that. We don't have all that. But the next verse, verse 31. You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. You should earnestly desire. Do you hear that? Do you understand that we should desire gifts to help people? Now, last week I, I kind of mentioned this idea of gift and opportunity because I hear people in the church say, well, it's not really my gift. You know, I would love to do that, but that's not really my gift. Well, there's this idea of gift and opportunity. And when God gives you the opportunity, you better look more than once because he will reach beyond your gifts. Gifts kind of operate as resident. All right? It's kind of resident with you. But it doesn't mean God doesn't move upon you and have you do something else. It doesn't mean that God won't empower you in a moment to pray for someone for healing. It doesn't mean that he won't lean upon you for the gift of miracles. You will have opportunities that will go well beyond anything you've ever done, thought about doing. That's just the God you serve. So we don't look at the gift as a limitation. You know, every person, I've prayed for people that have chronic nosebleeds. I'm good at it. Um, I have never missed on that. I mean, never have a nosebleed again. I just have incredible faith. There's somebody, do you have a nosebleed? Do you have that often? Let me pray for you and it'll be completely gone. And it, and, it, and it does that. But you know how I got there? And I really don't consider myself to have a gift of healing at all. I was in Mexico, and this little boy, his nose was just bleeding. And, uh, you know, we were kind of cleaning up his nose. And his mother said, you know, this, this happens every day. This is all the time. So I prayed for him. We were back six weeks later. She was so excited to see us. Her son had not had a nosebleed since we prayed for him. That's a miracle. Do you see how there was a supernatural power in play? You know what I thought? Cool. I wonder if there's somebody else with a nosebleed. And so it's like a couple months later, this person nosebleed. I said, I'm on this. I prayed for him. Never had a nosebleed again. 
And I prayed for another person and never had a nosebleed again. So if you have trouble with that, let me know. We'll take care of it today. How did I know that God has allowed me to do Do I have the gift of nosebleeds? I mean, doesn't that sound bizarre to you? But for somebody with a nosebleed, they're glad to hear from you. They're really, really glad to hear from you. Here's how I found that out. I did it. I took a shot at it. Why? Because there was somebody with a nosebleed. That's why. That's why we act upon. That's why if I don't have this resident gift, I know the Father. We're still, it's the same deal. We're pushing into the unseen. We're reclaiming territory from the enemy. You bet I can do it. I just call upon the Father. We must look for the opportunity and then ask for the gift if you don't think you have it. But I encourage you today, consider the gifts that God may have for you that you know about already and ask him to reveal. But part of his way of revealing is he's going to make you take a risk with it. Give it a shot. Now, I didn't, uh, I didn't share all of that verse. I said, so that you would earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But the second half of that verse, it says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now, I want you to think about this. We've just talked power, superheroes. We've talked all this stuff. We've talked about raising the dead, miracles, healing, all these things. And they're resident in you. There's some cool stuff we've talked about. But the, the Apostle Paul ends this chapter with this statement. Now that I've shared all that with you, let me share with you a more excellent way of life. Let me, let me now, he's like playing these cards. He says, now let me show you the trump card. Now I'm going to show you the trump card. An entire chapter of power. Now he's going to reveal the trump card. Amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, I'm going to read 13, uh, 1 through 7. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had, to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have nothing to gain. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record 
acts of wrongdoing. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Thank you. After sharing with you about the power, about the capability of that power, about the use of that power, then he comes back and says, if you use that power and you do great things with it, but you do not love, you won't affect the unseen. If you use that power, if you do the work, if you right wrongs, if you feed the poor, if you, if you sacrifice yourself to accomplish amazing things, but if you do not love, they're going to turn up empty. They are not going to affect the unseen. You see, in chapter 12, he tells you about the tooling. In chapter 13, he tells you how to make it work. <clears throat> I understand that in the final writings of Mother Teresa, she was very disillusioned. Struggled with even the concept of salvation. I find many people who have worked hard in the church, in nonprofits, they've worked hard to serve the addicted, the needy, the poor, the homeless to wind up bankrupt, to wind up with nothing left inside. To see that after all their efforts, like Mother Teresa, there's double the need. I knew a lady who was a missionary in Hong Kong. She worked in the inner city, and she worked in the power of God, delivering people from heroin addiction. Supernaturally, bang, they are healed of the addiction. She will also tell you that ultimately, every one of them went back for the first 10 years of her ministry. Being the reality of God in the world is a job we do with God and for God. You know why it looks that way? Because it looks that way for God, too. When you've struggled with your addiction year after year after year after year, after blessing, after blessing, after blessing. He's not burnt out on you. And he hasn't quit on you. And he hasn't turned his back on you and I. He hasn't counted our mistakes and considered us not worth the investment anymore. The love that allows him to do that with you and I is the love he equips you and I with. 
because the world we go after is the same one he's after. It takes more than superpower. It takes a love that is truly patient and it's truly kind. It isn't jealous or boastful. It's not proud. Do you know that love isn't rude? It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Does your love get irritable? When you're hungry, when you're tired, when you've had enough of a certain person, does your love get irritable? You need a stronger love. How about this one? It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always hopes. It always endures through every circumstance. Do you see why that's going to be necessary to walk with God? A power in you that never gives up. It never loses faith. It always hopes. Never, never, always. Do you hear those words? Do you know those are the same words that we put into wedding vows? Never, always, never, always, never, always, 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 never, always. They're eternal words. Because in the unseen, your motives will be revealed. This love is so unique, is so powerful. If you were to want and desire from God, the scripture tells you, desire those spiritual gifts. But if you want to be able to use them, earnestly desire God's love. Every song we sang today, everyone spoke of God's love. I want to share three final points with you about this love. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 and 8. Peter shares, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, be of sober mind, so that you may pray. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Did you know that love does that? Did you know that it covers sin? I mean, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? We think of the blood of Jesus that covers sin. We don't think of ourselves having a role in the disposition of sin, in the dealing of sin. But it says love covers a multitude of sins. Love deeply. You want to be effective in somebody's life? Address their sin issue by loving them deeply. Set people free by forgiving and loving deeply. Go head on at somebody's sin and release them. 
You want to see real justice in somebody that's screwing you over? Love them deeply and set them free. That's power. That is power. That's the power that the unseen places are humiliated in and take notice of. Because that's one they can't take back. Love deeply. Deal with people's sin. Love covers sin. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, everything is going to pass away. Everything. Except love. Verse 13, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest one is love. How does the church ever think it is going to do the work of God without making love and unity an absolute priority? Unless we lay down our issue with the world and the world's sin, and the world's struggle, its rebellion, its unbelief, its anger toward the church, whatever it is, if we cannot address that with love, we can't play. Love deeply. That's a cry for God. God, that I would love deeply. Love is the greatest. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails. You know, it's the same as saying God never fails. It's the exact same language. Love never fails. God never fails. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Love will never pass away. There's no more, but there's not more today. If you would stand, please.